I'm Emily. And I'm Hannah. We are best friends and dietitians. We have a goal of challenging nutrition misinformation and fitness trends with an evidence-based approach. Each episode, we will dish up our thoughts about the latest facts on a popular health-related topic. We're the Upbeat Dietitians. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Upbeat Dietitians podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. I know I always say this, but I'm very excited for today's episode. Very excited. This is a question I probably get every day. Um, Question slash comment. And I think I want to preface by saying that we're going to kind of say both food addiction and sugar addiction, maybe kind of interchangeably today. So we'll kind of try to specify that a little bit, but we will be talking about food slash sugar addiction today. And if that's like a real thing, um, and we'll kind of go over maybe why it is and why it isn't. But again, we get this all the time. Like, I feel like I'm addicted to sugar. I'm addicted to food. I can't stop eating. And I think we also want to preface by saying that if you struggle with what feels like food or a certain type of food addiction, we feel for you. Like those feelings are so, so valid and spoiler alert, we might kind of lean towards saying it's not actually like a real addiction, but that does not discredit any of your lived experiences or your feelings around food addiction. Like having that feeling that food has control over you is first of all, very normal, unfortunately, but also very, very, um, like real, it's a very real feeling. So I think it's more going to be how we like what causes those feelings? Like, why do you feel like you're addicted to food or sugar and maybe shifting the phrasing a little bit, but we want to first go into what addiction is and then go over what food addiction is. And then we'll kind of wrap up, although it would likely be the biggest part of the episode about the arguments against food addiction. Yeah. So addiction is actually um, like mental disorder. It is defined as a chronic relapsing disorder characterized by compulsive drug seeking or continued use despite harmful consequences and long lasting changes in the brain. And it's considered both a complex brain disorder and a mental illness. So it's a legitimate mental illness, which is something I feel like is kind of thrown out for my personal comfort. I don't really love how much the word addict or addiction is thrown around because a lot of people have very serious addictions to like drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. Um, But nevertheless, that is the definition for, and as you guys know, we always like to find a straight up definition first, but also depending on the particular substance that's involved, it can be it can be affecting you differently physically and mentally, and you can't really be addicted to something that your body needs. For example, like water. You need You're that. not a water. You're not a water addict. <laughs> no, you just, there might be something going on if there's like some, I'm blaming on the word. My diabetes background is poly, not urea. Some poly polyuria is what I was going to say like when you pee a lot I was thinking about the thirst one polydipsia that one okay 
I was thinking polydipsia and I was like, that's not right. <laughs> um, but to further that food, we need carbs. Our body runs on glucose, which is sugar. We need these things. So it's hard to say that you, you can't be addicted to something that you need to survive in life. Let's talk about food addiction. So let's oftentimes it's a, I'm sure you've heard someone say I'm addicted to sugar or I'm a sugar addict. I've heard this so many times. And oftentimes it's this claim, especially around food addiction, that diet culture has kind of pinned for where those who like want to sell you a book or a supplement to stop the addiction really kind of hone in on that phrase and target you. And there's actually a Yale food addiction scale, which I did not know this, which is pretty cool, but it's a self-reported tool that measures kind of those addictive like behaviors related to food. And it's based off of criteria more so from a substance addiction. So it might be useful, but it can only tell us really so much. It's based on more so the information gathered around it was based off of lived experiences. So already they're like a little bit more like testimonial work. And then it doesn't include any questions about dieting or restriction, even though those are strongly related to feelings of food addiction. So it's important to note those disclaimers if you kind of want to utilize it or check it out. Yeah. Going back to like the, um, the diet culture selling you this idea of food addiction. I think of like, Oh, maybe Dr. Mark Hyman doesn't necessarily peddle sugar addiction. I don't know for sure if he's one of the ones, but doctors like him in that realm that are like, sugar is the worst. You're definitely addicted to it. We as Americans are always just eating so much sugar, sugar, sugar. So here's a solution. Buy my book where I tell you how you can cure the addiction. And if you also buy my supplements, that's going to help you. So they're all just saying that you have this addiction to make a buck. That's all they're doing that for because again, spoiler alert, but we probably aren't addicted to sugar or food because we need both of those things to survive. And like sugar specifically, you're not just like eating spoonfuls of sugar. Whereas if you have a cocaine addiction, like you're straight up doing cocaine. So it's, it's all, it's all just diet culture, which really, really stinks. And yeah, that, that Yale food addiction scale, it's very surface level. And like Emily said, it really is just based on like your lived experiences. And I think the biggest flaw of it, it does not have any questions about like, have you dieted in the past? Have you ever cut out food groups? Have you ever restricted foods or had periods where you had like good foods, bad foods. And as we'll get to in a little bit too, that restriction and like just dieting in general is one of the biggest indicators of these feelings of sugar addiction. Like if you tell your body, you can't have something you want to have it even more. I always say like, if you tell a kid, like you can't go push that big red button, what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to go push that big red button really, really bad. And it's kind of like us with food. Like if someone told me I could never have Oreos ever again, all my brain would think about is how badly it wants Oreos, even though I could go like months without having Oreos and not have any problems, but because it's like in the front of my brain that I can't have it, I want to have it even more. And then it becomes all consuming and it feels like an addiction to Oreos, even though it's definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. So a few more things on what food addiction is. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons why this claim also exists that we can be addicted to food or sugar is 
I'm sure you've heard it before. Everyone will say like sugar releases the same feel good hormones as drugs do. That dopamine is released when you eat sugar. But like the thing is dopamine is released when like you hug a friend or like you're laughing at a joke or you're smiling. But I highly doubt that you would say you're addicted to hugging <laughs> or laughing. No. I'm a hugging addict. <laughs> no. So like we definitely can't say that just because it leads to a similar reaction in the brain that it is the same type of addiction. That's definitely, definitely not the thing. Um, and it's that said too, it's not even the same type of like neurochemical response. Like when we do drugs, there's a very specific type of response that happens. And it's not the same as when we eat jelly beans, like it's just not the same thing. And another kind of sign that it's not the same response is that if you do, I, I don't do cocaine, I don't do drugs at all. So I don't know exactly like the lived experience here, but when you do cocaine, like you kind of build up your tolerance to it. Right. And like, you kind of have to get more and more and more, maybe not cocaine specifically, but I'm sure certain drugs like alcohol kind of applies. Alcohol is a good one. That's still a dip, still a drug. Definitely. They can mm-hmm. be addicted to for sure. Okay. Good. Good idea. So alcohol, that one, I definitely know you can be you can increase your tolerance to it and you need more and more and more to get the same effect, but that's not going to happen with food. Like eating jelly beans, you're not going to like build a tolerance to it where you have to like eat more and more and more to get the same effect on the body. Like it's going to be the same amount of calories and the same tolerance to it, whether you're eating four jelly beans or four bags of jelly beans. A lot of jelly beans. It's a lot of jelly beans. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend doing that, but if you do, it probably won't feel great, but you know, no guilt. Yeah. So I think one of the next biggest things that people argue with food addiction is the withdrawal symptoms where people take something out and it's very, oftentimes they'll crave these things. They take out a lot more. I see this happen all the time with like the binge and restrict cycle, which I think is very closely paired with food addiction. I say in quotes for people who are listening on on the pod more so than YouTube. But some people report having these withdrawal symptoms around taking out specific food. And depending on the context, this might just be related to cutting out essential nutrients or more so mentally restricting where you just want, you just want more like what Hannah was saying. If you tell a kid, don't touch that red button, they're going to want to touch the button. If I were to tell you, you are never allowed to eat a donut ever again. Oh. Guess what you would crave? A donut. Yeah. yeah. It would, it's, I feel like it's very much there. It's not as black and white as we always say with nutrition as like, you take something out, it's addiction. It takes something out. Maybe it is related to a specific nutrient you were lacking, or maybe it's more so that mental restriction. There could be multiple factors, but oftentimes it is is not an addiction. It's more so something else is going on, but diet culture has convinced us that we are, we feel out of control around food. We cannot trust ourselves. I hear all the time. I can't trust myself with sugar in the house. So I don't buy it all the time. That's probably one of the biggest things I hear about. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's crazy. And we'll probably talk about this later, but it's crazy when you allow yourself to have these foods and you don't view them as bad. You no longer experience that 
that lack of control around them. This is actually a really big flex. And I hope that everyone listening who can't relate to this can work towards getting to this place because it really was so cool. I had, if you guys follow me on Instagram, you know, I'm a big fan of Oreos, trying all the new flavors. Um, So I have Oreos in my house like all the time because there's always new flavors coming out and I always have to buy them to try them. I had to throw away probably like three giant things of Oreos last week, like just throw them away because they were all like stale and disgusting from like a year or two ago. Like I forgot I even had them. Like I forgot they were in the house and someone who has these feelings of sugar addiction would be hearing me say that and be like, what? Like you didn't eat all those Oreos the minute they like were in your house. So like it's possible to get to that place where you can have these things in your house and just like either forget about it or just like not really care because you know, you can really have it, whatever you want. Yeah, exactly that. Like there's nothing stopping you from going to the store and getting some Oreos right now. Yeah. It's not the last time you're going to have Oreos. Exactly. Unless you decide to go on a diet again. Yes. I, I, I even hear healthcare professionals, doctors and others who to help with weight loss, their recommendation is get it out of the house. And I hate that. I hate when I hear that, like clients will be like, I know I have to get it out of the house or whatever. Like, no, that's not, that's a bandaid. That's not actually fixing the problem. No. It potentially could cause more problems for yeah. when you go off your diet and then you start having them again. Then you start binging them again because you view them as a bad food. Yeah. So if you are someone telling your clients that, do better. Stop that. Stop. <laughs> okay. Our last little yeah. bullet on what food addiction is. Um, I guess this is more, I guess, getting into our r- arguments against food addiction, but research has yet to find a specific addictive agent in foods. Whereas like with alcohol and drugs, there are like particular reasons why it's addictive, like ingredients, like chemical composure, like there are chemical components that make it addictive. Whereas with food, they haven't identified certain ingredients or chemical components that make it quote unquote addictive. It's usually because of restriction, which we'll kind of get to more here. Cool. So let's get into it because this is going <laughs> to grab a snack because this is going <laughs> to be the bulk of today's episode. So yeah. first and foremost about why food addiction is not a scientifically based issue. There are natural pleasure centers in the brain that are fired off when we eat. That just normally happens. Eating brings us happiness. It should. Yeah. As as it should. <laughs> as it should. You're allowed to be and, happy when you eat. Yeah. And this response is very similar to the other non-addictive behaviors like smiling or like laughing or hugging, like or listening to music, like what we talked about before. And you probably wouldn't argue you're addicted to smiling. <laughs> I saw a um um <laughs> like a similar thing on Instagram. They're like music releases dopamine but you're not addicted to spotify (laughs) like no it's just not it's not that simple no 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 because yeah yeah nope yeah (laughs) okay enough said so (laughs) that's argument number one we kind of already touched on that a little bit but yeah even though it is similar pleasure response it's not it's not addiction it's just you like it (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, I kind of mentioned this already too, but if sugar was addictive, people would be like just eating spoonfuls of table sugar or like taking corn syrup and just like squirting it into their mouths. But we don't do that because again, it's not an addictive agent. We likely just have told us that we can't have it. And so we find ways to get it. Although I will say one time I said that on TikTok, I was like, kind of explaining this whole process. I was like, you likely aren't just like spooning sugar into your mouth. And I got tons of comments saying, oh, I actually do that all the time. I was like, okay, I stand corrected, I guess. (laughs) But I don't think that's for the same reasons. I think that's just, I think that's just odd behavior, but we don't judge food behaviors here. So you do you, if you want to eat spoonfuls of sugar. Um, I think the big thing too, is that things that are sweet and things that are fatty and like crunchy and salty, they just like taste really good. And so we want to eat them. I think we touched on this a lot when we had our, um, our episode with Andy does healthy Andy Miller. She talked about this a little bit too. Like foods can be really, really hyper palatable and that can make it difficult to stop eating them. But oftentimes like sugar and fats are what are kind of deemed as quote unquote bad, but we need both of those nutrients to survive. We need both fat and sugar to survive. And so we cannot just say that we're addicted to nutrients that we are quote unquote supposed to eat or definitely not quote unquote, like actually supposed to eat. Yeah. And also like we can overconsume foods that aren't high in carbs or fats. We can overconsume any types of foods. Mm-hmm. So like I think that sugar addiction is one of the biggest ones we often hear, but because it is very easy to overconsume sugary and fatty foods too. Like I'm thinking like potato chips, for example, are high in carbs, high in fat. So they're very easy to eat, Um, but we can definitely overdo anything. So it's Mm -hmm. not to say that again, that's an addiction. Yeah. Yeah. And going to our next one, I don't really have anything to add. I feel like that just lays it well very well yeah (laughs) it is a normal evolutionary response our eating habits are very different than thousands of years ago it's normal for us to like food and enjoy eating because if we didn't we wouldn't have the drive to eat and we likely wouldn't survive because like we talked about before we need food and sugar to survive our brain runs off of glucose it loves that stuff yeah loves that stuff (laughs) it needs that to survive so if it's it's okay to feel like you want to eat and whatnot and if you feel it's just it's just just gonna be a reoccurring theme of foods are demonized feel like you have to restrict them you binge them because you feel bad about it. And then you're like, this is the last time I'll eat it. I'll be good after this. And then you feel out of control. Yeah. It's more of, I, I know we talked about there were essential nutrients that might be associated, but I feel that in more cases, it's, it's a mental thing. Definitely. Definitely. An example I like to give with this is like, um, I forget who I heard this from, but like, imagine like you're swimming, like you're going really, really fast. I don't swim. So I don't really know exactly how it works in terms of like (laughs) breath work, but if you're swimming and you have to like, hold your breath for a long time, eventually you have to like come up for air and you probably don't just like do a cute little, like, okay, I'm good. You probably like really try to get a big breath of air. And it's kind of the same thing with this. Like if you say, no, 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 I can't have jelly beans. I can't have jelly beans. I can't have jelly beans. 
eventually your body's gonna be like, I want some dang jelly beans. And you're going to likely overeat those jelly beans and feel like, again, like you're addicted to it, even though you're not, you were just restricting for so long. It's exactly that. Yeah. I hear that. We've talked about this before and I tried to give a metaphor and I know it went really poorly, (laughs) but it was that exact thing. It's any type of strong restriction, your body is going to go the other way and be like, give it, give it to me. (laughs) It like increases the motivation. Like when it finally gets the jelly beans, it's like, Ooh, I'm so like naughty. What have I done? And so it like makes you want to eat it more. (laughs) I love how we're personifying our brain so much. Just like, I, I just imagine it like, give me all the glucose and it's like, like freaking out over yeah. some like jelly beans. But yeah. Yeah. Most, yeah. No, fit. you go. You go. I have one more thing I want to say with okay. this. I love talking about this so much because it's something I talk about every day. Mm-hmm. Um, another big thing is like when we diet and just under fuel in general, like if we're on this like thousand calorie diet, our body just like wants it just wants something fast to like help get that energy and so what we usually do crave is like simple sugars because our body can use that very very quickly for energy so if our body's low on energy it wants a very quick simple fix and so what do we crave jelly beans what are other simple sugars i don't know sour patch kids fruit Fruit is normally something one of my goes yeah yeah so our body just wants something that it knows it can break down really quick it's why we don't crave like I don't know what would break down really. So like a chicken breast, like you probably don't crave that very often because there's like no sugar in that. And so your body, it would use it for energy, but take a little while. (laughs) So that kind of explains that if you are just chronically under fueling, your body's just looking for a very quick source of energy because it's not getting the energy it needs. Yes. I feel like that's a really good point to bring up because your blood sugar is dropping so much. And I've actually personally experienced this where I'm like, I've gone too long without eating. I need something to get my glucose stores up or else I'm yeah. about to be, have like a raging headache really soon. Yeah. And I'll go for like fruit or sometimes it'll like, it'll be just something really easy that I don't know what it is. I eat. Yeah. I don't have a go-to. But. I don't either. Whatever's around. It sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if you're going a long time, your body wants energy stores and it wants quick energy stores yeah. or energy sources more so. Yeah. Even if it's like unintentional, like I'm talking about like intentional dieting where you're like making yourself not eat enough, but even if it's like kind of what Emily would maybe describing, like where you just unintentionally go too long without eating because you're busy at work or you just forgot or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, that same thing can happen where, Oh, say for example, like you eat breakfast, but then you skip lunch. You got busy at work. You're going to get home from work and probably be so, so hungry. And that can sometimes feel like you're addicted to snacking when you get home, but you're not, you just didn't oh, yeah. eat for eight hours. And so your body wants a very quick source of energy. I feel that everyone can relate at one point where you come home from a long shift, whether it's at your desk job, it's you're working an eight hour wait, uh, serving shift wherever it is and then you come home and you just demolish everything yeah because you were going eight hours without eating or potentially like six hours depending on when they gave you a break if they even gave you a break yeah I have tons of patients who are nurses and it's so hard because their job is so hard and they don't always get to take regular breaks and like also water's a big one too like I can't pee more than like once a shift so like I can't drink water throughout the day which that isn't the same thing as this but it's tough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. 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 
But I think the only other thing we kind of very much alluded to this multiple times, but we'll <laughs> say it straight up. <laughs> the majority of your cells in the body use sugar. That glucose and our brains depend on glucose a lot. It loves that stuff. <laughs> so we can't be addicted to something our body depends on to survive yeah. and function. Sugar is less calorically dense than fats. It's four calories per gram of sugar. And it's quickly converted into energy for us. And this is part of the reason why it can be very easy to overeat sugar because we're consuming it so quickly. It's not filling us up. It's not as satiating as fats. It's not metabolizing slowly or even like proteins like that chicken breast, not going to give you that quick energy. Maybe it will in like an hour or so, but the immediate relief won't be there. Yeah. The example I always give here is like, I could eat an entire bag of Doritos, no problem. And like not feel full at all. And because those Doritos break down to simple sugars in our body for quick energy, but there's no way I could eat like a pound of chicken breast. I get stuffed <laughs> after like four ounces. Cause it's like straight up protein. And our, our body yeah. uses that protein very, very differently than it does the sugar and the Doritos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love okay. Doritos. Oh my God. I love God. Doritos I could... so much. Are you cool yeah. ranch or nacho cheese? It depends on my mood. This would be a good bonus question, actually. Yeah. Don't answer that. <laughs> you can tell me but after, love... but we'll save okay. your official answer. <laughs> but I love for... both. I do not oh, yeah. discriminate against any Dorito types, but yeah. They're okay. so good. Okay. We'll elaborate. We'll another elaborate. time. You'll have to another tune time. back in for another episode to yes. find out our opinions <laughs> on Doritos. We know you're dying to know. Yeah. Okay. So, um, our next, and I think final section on our argument on why food addiction likely isn't really a thing. Again, we've kind of really alluded to this already big time, but oftentimes this feeling of sugar or food addiction is just a result of you restricting and this restriction can look different in many different ways. It could be chronic dieting or just like random food rules, like sugar is bad. I'm going to crave sugar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, But as we talked about having this rule around sugar, whatever food you feel addicted to only makes you want to have it more. Um, But like we kind of already said with the Oreo example, how I threw them away, I know I can have Oreos whenever the heck I want to have Oreos. And so while they still taste good, I like to get the new ones. They're fun. I like them. Like the appeal or like the vanity or like the sexiness of Oreos is not really there all the time. And I don't have a struggle with like eating a whole row and not being able to stop because I know again I can have them whenever I want to have them yeah yeah it kind of makes me sad to think that you had to throw out all those Oreos I know but I always tell my patients and clients this like I mean I know you know this Emily but like your body's not a trash can so like whether you throw in the trash or just eat them because you feel like you have to eat them it's going to be wasteful either way. And how I view it is I'd rather throw away in the trash can than make myself feel like crap by shoving down a whole thing of expired Oreos just to not throw them away. Yeah. I think I'm just personifying them just like the brain today. I'm personifying everything. I'm <laughs> like the little Oreos like, no. Well, they were in my cabinet for like two years. So they were probably ready to go on their next <laughs> like, journey. Let me be free. <laughs> let us out of this dark let me, room. <laughs> let some raccoon find me. Yeah. Then raccoon can enjoy it. The biggest thing with this next one is those 
who have a food or sugar addiction often do have a history of disordered eating behaviors or like chronic dieting or whatever. And this kind of led me to think when I was doing some like research to make our outline for this episode, like, is it food addiction or should you actually go see a specialist and maybe be diagnosed with binge eating disorder? Now, preface here, this is not to say that everyone who feels like they have a food addiction has binge eating disorder. So it is a diagnosable eating disorder. Um, But many of the diagnostic criteria for BED, binge eating disorder, sound a lot like those who say they have food addiction. Like for example, a sense of lack control over eating during the episode. Like you just like, you can't stop Um, eating very rapidly, eating until you're uncomfortably full, Um, eating when you're not even really hungry, but just because like you feel like you're again, quote unquote, addicted to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, big, big thing here I want to point out is that you're, you may not have BED, but um, if you do really, really struggle with a lot of the diagnostic criteria, which we can share the link actually for like the diagnostic criteria and like what exactly it is. Um, but you may or may not have binge eating disorder, but there are a lot of similarities. And I think by simplifying it into just a food addiction is pretty bad when it could be an actual eating disorder, which goes way beyond just like wanting to be thin and cut out sugar, you know, like it's an actual eating disorder, which is a mental illness. Yes. We do not self-diagnose here. So it could be something that would be good to just reach out to a medical professional or a specific eating disorder therapist, just to kind of check in. If you really do feel out of control and it's not and it's something you want to seek help with, it could be. Actually, we very much encourage you to reach out for help. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we'll share links on like how to do that. So <laughs> I guess to kind of like sum it up, I found this article. Um, what's the title of it? I can't remember. Um, um, um. I think it was like a, I forget what kind of article it was, but it, anyway, it gave a really good summation of like, is food addiction a thing? And I'm going to read it directly by what it said. So they kind of concluded that, quote, we find little evidence to support sugar addiction in humans and findings from the animal literature suggest that addiction-like behaviors such as binging occur only in the context of intermittent access to sugar. These behaviors likely arise from intermittent access to sweet tasting or highly palatable foods, not the neurochemical effects of sugar, end quote. So I think I thought it was a really good summation of all that we just said. Like, it's just because you restrict it. It's not because it has addictive qualities. Yes, it releases dopamine, but so does hugging and listening to music. Not quite the same thing. No, definitely not the same thing. No. So let's talk about how to quote unquote cure a food or sugar addiction. So first and foremost, the mantra of this entire podcast, (laughs) quit the diet mentality. We need to stop making the diet rules, stop viewing foods as good versus bad. And this isn't something that happens overnight. It's something that's going to take a lot of time and practice and challenging those thoughts and challenging the inner food police and those around you and what you see online and whatnot, and kind of creating a space that you can recover from this. But in order to no longer feel 
like you don't have control around, don't have control of yourself around food, we need to start off by just stopping kind of dieting in general, because it is not, it's definitely not helping, potentially feeding into it even more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this can be really scary. This kind of goes back to that example we gave of like getting rid of food just to not overeat it is not going to be a good Mm -hmm. solution. Oftentimes when I tell that to people, they're like, but like, if I have those jelly beans in the house, I'm going to overeat them. And that's a thing in intuitive eating called like last supper eating where, yeah, as you're kind of getting used to having these foods regularly that were previously off limits, you are going to overeat them and maybe be a little bit uncomfortable, but as we kind of already mentioned, you'll get used to that and you'll remember and realize over time that you don't feel very good if you eat jelly beans all the time. And so you will kind of learn that you don't actually want to do that. Um, the only reason you want to do that now and have them all the time is because they are quote unquote forbidden off limits, whatever. Um, but again, like as you allow those technically, whenever you want that last supper eating will go away, kind of fade away. Yeah, exactly that. We're open intuitive eating in here. (laughs) You know how I do. Yeah. The next tidbit on how to cure this food addiction, sugar addiction, is to give yourself permission to eat foods without guilt, including sugar. This is very much correlated to that first bullet point where we're challenging those feelings of guilt after eating like, oh, I was so bad. I ate a hamburger. I was so bad. I ate half the bag of jelly beans. I'm going to heavily restrict the tomorrow. I'm going to only eat salads for the rest of the day. I'm not going to eat tomorrow. Stuff like that. It's a very slippery slope. And when we do challenge those feelings of guilt and like be like, no, it's okay. It's okay if I have this food. This food brings me happiness. It might not be (laughs) the highest in protein or the highest in antioxidants, whatever it is. But it still makes you happy. (laughs) This is a tangent, but I bet they have like antioxidant rich jelly beans out there these days that you can buy just knowing how diet culture is. It's probably just like the blue and red and purple jelly beans. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. Yeah. You have permission to eat any and all foods and that will help with getting rid of that diet mentality. Yeah. Okay. Kind of along with that, it's also important to remember that you can eat for more than just like physical nourishment. Like Emily kind of just said, like, I think it's almost Easter. So we have jelly beans on the brain. So we're going to keep using that example, but I love when you guys hear beans. us, it'll be, I love jelly beans so much. Um, like do jelly beans provide us with like the most protein and vitamins and minerals? Do they hydrate us? Like, no, they're just like simple sugars that give us some energy. Um, but even that, like they still are giving a purpose. Like even like physically, they are providing our body with carbs, a essential macronutrient. Um, but besides the point, we are allowed to eat and we should eat for more than just that physical nourishment, like getting a macronutrient or a micronutrient in. It's okay to eat just because it tastes good. Or even like if you're bored, like I think we talked about emotional eating a few times on here, but nothing wrong with emotional eating. It shouldn't be shame. Like you shouldn't feel shame if you do it, as long as you know, it's not going to fix the problem. But Anyway, it's okay to eat for other reasons besides just nourishing your body. You can eat because you're celebrating a birthday or celebrating Easter. Um, if you, if you celebrate that, 
because it tastes good or whatever other reason. Like, do you need jelly beans to survive? No, but they taste good. They are a fun part of the Easter holiday if you celebrate that and it's okay just to eat them for that reason alone. Yeah. I also want to give a shout out to Ramadan and Passover because I think they're also happening or they're yeah. coming up. But yeah, I'm sure there's celebration with that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, whatever it is, it's okay. You don't yeah. have to. <laughs> I was used we were talking about jelly beans and I think I was unintentionally an anti-diet culture student without, I don't think I ever told you this, but I was, I went to, you know, there are expos for big races. Mm -hmm. So I went to one from the Chicago half marathon. They were giving out samples and they had like the sport jelly beans and they're supposed to be like quick energy and me being the like silly little dietetic student I was, I walked up to the the rep and I was like, what's different about these compared to normal jelly beans? Did he have an answer? And she was so insulted. I mean, <laughs> I get it. Like I would be insulted if you made some like sports focused food and you know, some like punk kid it's like <laughs> I was that different from candy but I I'm thinking about it now and I don't think they're that different it's just supposed to be no. quick sugar <laughs> like jelly beans are actually a great like pre-workout or intra workout yeah snack. and the ones I ate gave me stomach pain mm. I think they had like some weird maybe they had a lot of like sugar alcohols or something that seems dumb if they're meant to give you energy <laughs> I know I'm I was like I'd rather just eat normal jelly beans yeah but we were talking about that. I thought of that. So silly. Weird. Um, but the last tip anyway, <laughs> is if you think you have an eating disorder or you even just want to get help on this, you don't need to have an eating disorder to reach out for help. Reach out to a healthcare professional. We're going to link different ways you can reach out to individuals to help you with this, but it's not something you need to live with for the rest of your life. There are people out there to help you and who are very good at helping people with eating disorders or even just disordered eating. And the first step, I always tell all my patients this, the first step in solving a problem is admitting you have a problem and then reaching out Yeah, because there's a lot of people in this world and you're not alone. Yeah. There's people to help you. It's actually a good segue into like our final summation. So like your, like I said, at the very beginning, like your feelings that you feel that you have a food addiction are very valid and very, very common. Like we mm-hmm. said, we hear stories of like this all the time. I can't have this food, this food, this food in the house, or I'm going to overeat it. I'm addicted to sugar, whatever. So those feelings are very valid and real. And us kind of saying that food addiction is not a real thing is not us saying that your feelings are not a real thing. No, your feelings are very real, but it likely isn't actually about the food, the sugar, the carbs, whatever, and more so about your mindset around those foods. Yes, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. We're not just, we don't want to invalidate your feelings because they're very valid. Yeah. And common and normal, unfortunately normal. Yes. Something very drilled into a lot of our brains. Yes. Um, But potentially something else going on and might yeah. not be a potentially not a mental disorder potentially but like emily said not- like like emily said like 
if you identify that you do have these feelings, like that could be a problem. And that's the first step of figuring out what to do about the problem. Yeah. Like maybe you didn't even like realize that you had these thoughts about food until you heard this episode. And then you're like, oh, wow, maybe I do have these feelings of restriction that lead to my feelings of food addiction. And that can be the first step on getting help with that. Exactly that. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Okay. I picked today's bonus question because it kind of goes along with the episode. Um, The question is, what is the best soda? I know we've talked about like cans versus bottles versus like, um, what's it called when you like go to a restaurant fountain. And I, I don't think that we've like talked about like what the best soda is. I kind of want to guess yours. Wait, don't tell me. I'm feeling like it's like a cream soda or something or root beer. You just can't decide. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My, like my staple, my go-to my all the time, not all the time, but like most compared to others is a diet. Did we even say the question? What's the best soda? Oh, okay. We did. We did say it. Okay. (laughs) That's the the question. (laughs) And I was kind of tying it back to the episode because like soda, sugar, all that. Right, 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 right. Um, my, yeah, my go-to is Diet Coke. I think we talked about that too. Oh, with, that's um, Michaela. Stu- yeah, I definitely should have known that. Well, I I love a cream soda. I love a root beer. I even love like a Sprite Zero kind of thing. I think another part to this is diet versus regular, which I know your answer to that. I feel like you know mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'll kind of say my, I'm definitely team diet. Um, I just feel, I just feel better. I think that goes back to what we said earlier, actually, like can I drink a regular Coke without feeling guilty? Of course I can. Like, I know that the sugar yeah. in that is going to have a very minimal effect on my life in the big picture, but I don't feel well if I eat or drink a lot of sugar at once. And that's why I choose diet sodas because they don't have any sugar. And so yeah. I don't get any kind of like blood sugar response to that. Um, or if I do have regular soda, I make sure I have it with a meal. Cause if I just like have like a regular soda, I'd feel not yeah. good. Um, but anyway, that was a diet culture segue as I always tend to make it. <laughs> so again, I don't ever have an answer, but diet Coke's my staple, but I do, you were right about that. I do love like a cream soda or root beer kind of thing too. I should have known the diet soda. I feel like, or the diet Coke. I feel like almost, I right see here, it actually so many times. <laughs> I'm drinking um, it right now. Do social media or, or when we're recording, you're like, I have my diet soda, my diet Coke. Yeah. My answer, I don't think you'll know this. Oh, you I don't, don't really, I don't see, you I don't drink, soda, drink soda because I, the carbonation like makes my stomach really bubbly oh. and it makes me super bloated. And I yeah. hate feeling bloated, like more than it, like I'll actively avoid eating things or drinking things if it'll make me bloated. Yeah. Just partially why I hate drinking alcohol. Cause it makes me so bloated, but whatever. But so that's why I was actually talking to Bobby. I was like, I wish they made flat soda. I would drink all of that. Ew. It doesn't hurt my stomach. And you so can make that, it flat. Just like let it sit out for a while. That's what I do it. when I visit his house. I'll Ew. like let it sit for a couple hours. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> it doesn't hurt me. <laughs> Get it. I just, I love carbonation. So. I like. I can't relate, yeah. but I get it. I think it's become one of those things like dairy where the the pleasure of it 
is no longer worth the pain that comes with yeah. it. Yeah. They need like a solution for that, like a lactate for carbonation. <laughs> <laughs> like some type of carbonation that doesn't hurt me. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I actually, I have it downstairs. I should go grab it and show it. We got, I didn't share it on Instagram yet, actually. We got the nitro Pepsis. Oh my gosh, you did. Yes. I so just they like commercial about those. Yeah. So they use nitrogen instead of CO2. And so they're still like a little bubbly, but not a lot. Um, they're actually that's what pretty I flat. I think <gasps> you'd like them. And they taste like kind of like coffee a little bit too. They're actually really good. The, Maybe the, that's the solution. I think it is because the flatness threw me off, but I think you would like that based on <laughs> your previous <laughs> journeys. Yeah. But my favorite soda is cherry Coke. Oh my gosh. I, like- I forgot you didn't even give your answer. Okay. Cherry yeah. Coke. I don't, I probably drink cherry Coke like twice a year just because I don't drink soda because it hurts me. But I used to, it was like a huge part of my childhood where there was like this big water park near us. And we somehow were like, all of us is like little middle schoolers. Cause like we should be like, cause it's okay if we apparently have memberships to water parks. Like we also had this membership and you'd have like this huge cup those were like 32 ounces that you could oh constantly refill if you were there. And all my friends would just get cherry Coke the entire time. So it's, I oh feel like it's gosh. more of a nostalgia. Yeah. Thing. But second place is Sprite. Sprite, Sprite. Sprite can never do me wrong. No, Sprite's so good. It's yeah. so refreshing. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Ginger ale. I love ginger ale. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> That's like probably my top three. I do love ginger ale. Yeah. Ooh. We have that a lot. We always have, not always, but we often have like either Diet Coke or Diet Ginger Ale in our house. Mm. Staples. Staples. Wow. I did not know that. I did not know much about your soda preferences or. I don't really drink it. I only ever drink it really if I have it as a mixer. Yeah. If normally then it's Sprite or if I'm at the Rosners. And they have stuff and I'll let it sit out for a couple hours. It's bizarre. Put it in the fridge for a couple hours. Ew. Although I will note it's my sodas have gotten thrown out because people think they're like, well, yeah. <laughs> Cause no one else likes flat sodas. I'm like, no. <laughs> That's funny. That's so funny. I'm gonna have to go try this nitro Pepsi now. I yes. love this could be a different question. Is I don't think we've done Pepsi versus Coke. I don't think we have, although I feel like they already know our answer because we I both know. just said we like Coke is our favorite soda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We could like break it down to like the taste profiles and that kind of yeah. stuff. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We yeah. have been excited to record this one because it is such a common question and complaint that we get. Um, I <laughs> forgot how to talk about episodes. Hope Thanks. you liked it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something new. We'll see you next week. We never promote what to do with us. Like we're on Instagram and TikTok. I don't know if we oh, ever yeah. promote this. We're we on Instagram at the Epi Dietitians. We're on TikTok at the Epi Dietitians. 
I think in our outro it says these things. Oh, it definitely just, like, does. Yeah, I just never. I haven't. Listened well, who to listens to the long. outro? I don't even listen yeah. to outros of like other podcasts. I know. So now they have to listen to us talk about this, or they've already pieced out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we have to go over our our new thing, our Tud Bud. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Emily, go ahead. Go ahead. We have a new fun. We want to involve all of you a lot more. And also we love animals. So we are starting something soon. It's going to probably be within the next, when this comes out, we'll ask for your submissions within like two weeks or so, but it's going to be ongoing. It's not like this is the one time for it. We are going to be introducing Tud Buds. And what this is, if you don't know what Tud is, it's the Uppy Dietitians. Um, and buds are going to be, we want to see your animals and learn about them because we love animals. We also love hearing about your animal and how you met them and kind of what their personality like is whatnot. And we also love seeing pictures of animals. Yes. So we're going to start implementing something. I think it's going to be on a monthly basis, but if anything changes, we'll announce it on Instagram or we'll talk about it in a next episode and just be sure to tune into social media or our episodes for any updates on that. But we're going to have a Google form for you to fill out just to kind of upload any cute pictures you want to share. Um, tell us kind of about your your little bud. And once we share it, they'll become a Tud bud. They'll be super cute. And if you have, a, I just saw this on the spot. If you have an animal account for them, tag the animals. Oh, and yes. then we'll tag them and some free promotion. Yeah. Of your and we'll tag animal. them in like Instagram stories too. Yeah. When we like announce but, the winners. Yeah. It'll be super exciting. And we all love to see pictures and hear cute stories about animals. So, and we want to connect with you all a lot more. Yeah. But it's also so we can see cute animals. <laughs> it's it's a selfish thing, but we also yeah. do want to build community. <laughs> it's yeah. for you guys and for us. So definitely check that out. Submit all your cute pictures. And yeah, it'll be great. Every month we'll kind of nominate the Tud Bud of the month and feature them. Yeah. And we'll share, we'll have like a consistent link. We'll share it. Oh okay, yeah, um, we'll put it in probably the episode in the descriptions episode or description. even on our link tree. And social media too. We can like share in stories whenever we like are accepting nominations. So like Emily kind of said, be sure to follow us. I'd say Instagram especially is where we usually post most of our content and updates and all of that. Yes. Cool, but that'll be so fun. We're so so excited excited to see your animals. Any kind of animal. Like if if you've got an elephant, I want to see your elephant. (laughs) I'd probably win, honestly. If you got an elephant, (laughs) you're going to win. I can tell you right now, those dogs, I love dogs, but- if it's a golden retriever versus an elephant, <laughs> the elephant's going to win that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, cool. kind of spoiled it there. Well, thank you guys for listening and we will see you in the next one. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the Upbeat Dietitians with your host, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at The Upbeat Dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. 
Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.